Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Today is the day the Matildas will step out onto the field of the Women's World Cup held for the first time here in Australia and across the ditch in New Zealand. There has never been more pressure on the Australian team to perform, and with a mix of incredible talent in our lineup, led by the world-class Sam Kerr, Aussie fans are expected to jump on the Matildas' bandwagon by the dozen. So as we wait to see how our national team will handle the weight of all that pressure and expectation, today we take a look at some incredible facts that us first-time football fans should know as we prepare to follow the Matildas, hopefully through to the very end. But first, news headlines for Thursday, July 20. Prosecutors have called the actions by a police officer who tasered a 95-year-old woman in a care facility a grossly proportionate response and excessive use of force. Senior Constable Christian White faced court yesterday charged over the May incident where Claire Noland was asked by officers to put down a knife she was holding. The court hearing how Mrs Noland, who suffered with dementia, was stationary, holding onto her walker, looking at Constable White's colleague when, after her fourth warning that she would be tasered, he allegedly said, nah, bugger it, before deploying his taser on the frail woman, dropping her to the ground where she hit her head. She later died in hospital. According to court documents outlining police procedures. A taser should not be used against an elderly or disabled subject unless exceptional circumstances exist. A federal judge has rejected Donald Trump's request for a new trial after a jury found the former US president liable for sexually abusing and defaming writer E. Jean Carroll and awarding her $5 million. In a 59-page decision, US District Judge Lewis Kaplan in Manhattan also dismissed Trump's arguments for reducing damages to less than $1 million. Kaplan saying the unanimous May 9 verdict was almost entirely in favour of Ms. Carroll and neither a seriously erroneous result nor a miscarriage of justice. Carol accused Trump of raping her in a Manhattan department store dressing room in the mid-1990s and then defaming her when he branded the incident a hoax in a post on his Truth social platform. Russia has launched a massive air attack on the Ukrainian port of Odessa for a second consecutive night, which one Ukrainian official described as hellish, but authorities vowed not to be intimidated and to continue to work to export grain. The attacks on Odessa, one of Ukraine's main ports, followed a pledge of retaliation by Russia after a blast on a bridge linking Russia to the Crimean Peninsula on Monday that Moscow blamed on Ukraine. Shortly after the bridge was hit, Moscow withdrew from a year-old Black Sea 
grain agreement that allowed for the safe export of Ukraine's grain, a move that United Nations says risks creating hunger around the world. Most of Ukraine was under air raid alerts on and off starting soon after midnight on Wednesday, with Russia striking other areas including a drone attack on Kyiv. Australia has recorded a steady decline in rates of HIV over the past decade and could be on track to virtually eliminate the disease. Figures released by the Kirby Institute show a 46% fall in new Australian HIV cases in the past decade, with 555 recorded in 2022, compared to a total of 1,037 in 2013. Australia's rate of decline is among the best in the world, in line with other leading countries in Northern Europe and well ahead of rates in the US and Canada. But a slower reduction among some groups and a high rate of late detections are still troubling experts, with 44% of patients living unknowingly with the disease for four or more years. A virtual elimination does not mean zero new cases of HIV, but an absence of sustained endemic community transmission. One of at least three dingoes involved in an attack on a 23-year-old woman on Gurry has been captured and humanely euthanised. A Queensland Department of Environment and Science spokesman said the two-year-old dingo had been responsible for other recent threatening and biting incidents, including one involving a six-year-old girl. In this latest incident, at least three of the animals chased the woman into the water at Orchid Beach before two men in a four-wheel drive rushed to her aid. She was taken to hospital with bite injuries. The euthanised dingo had been wearing a tracking collar since April, which had allowed Queensland Parks and Wildlife Rangers to track the animal and its behaviour, as well as monitor human behaviour around it. When it was collared, it weighed more than 17 kilos, heavy for a dingo, a clear indication it had been fed possibly by people and had lost its natural wariness, possibly from people interacting with it for videos and selfies. That's the latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. At 8pm Eastern Standard Time tonight, the Matildas will head out onto the grass at Stadium Australia in Sydney to take on the Republic of Ireland in the first of their group stage matches at the Women's World Cup. It's been a long time coming, Australia and New Zealand winning the right to host the event all the way back in 2019. I can announce the host country of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, which will be Australia. But from the moment the two countries were announced as hosts, the push for our Matildas to get into a good place ready for the tournament began. Last week, that preparation culminated in a win against France in a friendly that saw the Aussies come out on top 1 0. Here come the Matildas. It's been a little while. We've been up this end with real intent. Rasso, the cutback for Fowler, beautifully done. And Mary Fowler. The women's game has been gaining traction leading up to this World Cup. Earlier this year, Australia's excitement about being able to see these games live boiled over, with FIFA, the sports world governing body, having to make the call to move the first game from Sydney Football Stadium, which seats 45,000 fans, to Stadium Australia, giving an extra 38,000 the chance to attend. The more than 80,000-seat venue has sold out for tonight's game. 
And if all those seats are filled, it could end up being one of the best attended games in FIFA's Women's World Cup history. While the excitement is new, the team isn't. The Matildas have actually been on the scene since 1978, when the first ever Australian women's squad was announced, mainly made up of players from New South Wales and WA, and captained by Connie Burns, who would go on to win the Miss Football title. Back then, they weren't even called the Matildas. They were referred to as the female Socceroos. Some suggested they'd be called the Socorettes, or even the Lady Socceroos. They didn't even have their own uniform, kitted out in the same gear as the men, some of it handed down after being used by their male counterparts. In fact, they didn't get their own design specifically for them uniforms until 2019. The story about how the name the Matildas came about is also a bit of a mystery. A Matilda is actually a camping bag carried by an Australian bushman, famously referred to in the Banjo Patterson poem and then later in the bush ballad Waltzing Matilda. This is reportedly where the team's marketing department got the inspiration and came up with the idea to call the team the Matildas. But there's also a story that former player Sharon Young in the early 1990s, when the team were trying to qualify for the first Women's World Cup in China, had the idea to call themselves the Matildas, inspired by the 1982 Commonwealth Games mascot Matilda, a 13-metre-tall mechanical kangaroo who cheekily winked at Prince Philip in the crowd with her overly long eyelashes. But after they failed to qualify, the suggestion went nowhere. It wasn't until 1995, as the team was again preparing to qualify for the Women's World Cup, this time in Sweden, that the CEO of the Australian Women's Soccer Association, Peter Hugg, along with the team's head coach, Tom Ceremani, and admin assistant, Sarah Grube, had a brainstorming session. They realised that the kangaroo had a big connection with Australian soccer, with the Socceroos and the Ollie Roos and Joeys. So why not call them the Matildas after that kangaroo com games mascot? It also helped that the movie Matilda, based on Roald Dahl's books, had come out that year too. But instead of just announcing the new name, they put it to a public vote through broadcaster SBS, where people could call a number and choose their favourite from a list that also included the Galahs, the Sheilas and the Socorettes. The Matildas winning out in a vote that many saw as just a little bit rigged. So what is the real story? Sarah Walsh is the head of women's football, Women's World Cup legacy and inclusion and a former Matildas player herself. Sarah, what's the truth here? Who takes credit for the name? Yeah, look, I'm not the source of truth for that either, even though I was a Matilda. I mean, some of the sources around the poll that was taken, I've seen an SBS old clip where they put it out to the, you know, the fans of the Matildas and national teams more broadly and come back and come back Matildas. People say it's Walsing Matilda. I actually don't know the truth. I don't think anyone does at this point. I think there's so many stories and it was such a long time ago. But I have heard from a very good source, which was my former coach, Tom Samani. He said that it was during his time where they did have a, a bit of a fan poll and that came back as the popular choice. Basically, it's going to remain a mystery into eternity at this point. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love the stories that people come out with around it. Let's talk about what it's like to actually be a Matilda. During your playing time, has it been frustrating to be part of a team that hasn't been as recognised as what they probably should be in this country, seeing as we are, you know, tagging ourselves as a sporting nation? Yeah, look, I don't want to speak on behalf of, there's about 250 Matildas alumni 
and I don't think we're a homogenous group. I'm sorry to give a bit of a serious answer, but through the process of getting close and gearing up around the 2023 World Cup, which starts today, we've been bringing the Matildas alumni on the journey and I've had that many different conversations with each of the players and who have, you know, either left on good or bad terms, you know, they left because of an injury or some actually got a send-off match. And, you know, I was actually one of the lucky ones that kind of made the call on my career. I obviously had a bad knee, but I made it on my terms and I actually got two amazing send-offs and that's a really rare, you know, occasion. And because of that, I think that, you know, I have a really great relationship with the thinking around what role I played. And I look at this team and I think we've got a long way to go even. I think this is the part of the change where we're commercialising the team. And I was part of the change in 2007 where we started to build awareness around the team. I mean, before the 2007 World Cup, Honestly, I'd have conversations and I'd say I'm a Matilda and people just had no idea what it was. After our World Cup in 2007, that actually changed and that was really nice for me. So we built the awareness of the team. I was there when we brokered the first contracts and we moved from per diem to contracts. You know, we were basically negotiating to get our laundry and Wi-Fi paid for so it didn't cost us to travel. But you know, 10 years prior to me, they were sewing badges on shirts and having to pay to play. So I kind of see it as this big continuum. I look at this team as the change. They're really reshaping sport in Australia through this World Cup. And I guess that's how I view the world. And I played a small part in that change. Well, let's find out some more about this team. Who will today step out on that field with the starting 11? We, of course, need to know in Ted Lasso terms, who's the diva Jamie Tart and who's the hard man Roy Kent on this team? Oh, it's a good question. Who do you not want to come up in a tackle against? It's probably Claire Polkinghorne, our you know, trusted centre-back. And a funny story about uh, Claire Polkinghorne. I'm not sure she loves me telling this story, but I was there when we played the US for her first game. As a Matilda, she was this young 16-year-old, and we were playing Abby Wombach, who's one of the best strikers for the USA, and our coach said, look, we think we're going to have you tag her, which means you literally need to follow her around. She's too good to get space on the ball. We had this small, young Claire Polkinghorn who followed her everywhere and really didn't allow her to get the ball right, so she'd done her job. But one time we were getting drinks for a drink break, and we look over and Claire was over there with Abby Wombach getting a drink so she'd taken it literally and followed her everywhere during you know when the match had broken down and look I've spoken to Claire and she said it didn't happen like that but I'm pretty certain it happened like that but yeah she's the Roy Kent the Jamie you have to say Sam Kerr right and and I mean that with the greatest respect if you need someone to score a goal at Sam she's one of the best goal scorers we've ever had in Australia male or female she's actually one of the best goal scorers in the world how many of the current players actually play for overseas teams. For those of us who've been watching the doco on Disney Plus, we can see how like hectic their lives are traveling between European teams and back to Australia and around the world. How many of the team are playing overseas? A large majority of them. There's only a couple of players that actually apply their trade here in the, the Liberty A League, but large majority in the UK, a couple in the US. We have some in Sweden. We also have one in France who's Ellie Carpenter. I mean, if you haven't seen the Disney docuseries, you absolutely have to. What I love about it is it has something for everybody. If you're a new fan, if you're a hardcore fan, or if you're someone like me that's worked in football forever, I learned so much about that. And I actually heard one of the current players the other day say that they learned more about their teammates who they spend time with. 
you know, I think you touched on the key theme within the docuseries is that they are actually the most travelled sporting team in the world. And that's because, you know, they obviously play the global game, but we're a 22-hour flight away. So every time we bring them home to play for the Matildas within a 10-day window, you know, they have to play their club game and then they've got to be straight back on the other side of that. 10-day window to play for their clubs. So we jam-pack this, and this is 12 months of the year. You know, if you see the docuseries, you see that commitment that they make to the jersey and playing for their country. But, yeah, someone like Katrina Gorey, who has a young daughter who also travels with the team, they say that young Harper is the 24th player. She's just completely changed the high-performance environment. And I have to say that it's given this best practice blueprint as to what the high-performance environment can be if you loosen it up and look, they're performing as well. Well, it sounds like you agree with coach Tony Gustafsson who said that he thinks that the Matildas becoming mums actually makes them better players. Absolutely. I'm a mum now of a two-year-old and I don't think I wanted to have children young, but you can imagine the flow-on effect it has for their teammates to see, you know, that they're thriving and they're able to have it all because for a long time women have been forced to make really difficult decisions and just to see someone like Katrina Gorey, who actually carried the child, is our policy at FA was really to make sure she was supported during pregnancy and then particularly it's the return to play. And that doesn't look like your regular policy, right? If you're in an office, you're not using your body for performance. And there's a real great case study here because she's one of our best players. She's the glue to this team and we think it is because she's a mum and I think she says that herself. But we have to create more of those opportunities for more women. And I think that her teammates will be watching this very closely. And she's kind of shown the way that you can have it all. I think also other sports here in Australia are watching very closely. It was interesting to read this week from the team doctor that after 10 days in camp, the Matildas' periods all synced up, which many of us went, really? Like, are you just, you know, feeding us a little bit of a fun fact? Like, we're all going to go, oh my God, is that true? Is that true? Well, I think, look, I'm not a doctor and I trust Brandy to not be, you know, telling fibs. Absolutely. She's not someone that would to do that. But in my experience, absolutely. We used to laugh about it. We didn't have the medical or, you know, technology to actually attract this over a long period of time. But I can absolutely assure you it used to be something that would happen, but I guess you needed to spend a significant amount of time together for that to all take place. You can't just be a, you know, a week's camp and this team spent a significant amount of time. So I'm absolutely not surprised after three, four weeks together that this is taking place. They spend a lot of time together. The Aussies are the favourites to win tonight. The experts tipping the win probability scale 74% in the Matildas' favour. But the Republic of Ireland have some heavy hitters in the mix too, with Katie McCabe, who also plays for Arsenal, and Denise O'Sullivan looking very dangerous for the Aussies' side. However, it is their first ever World Cup appearance and the nerves might get the better of them. They also just called off a training match against Colombia last week after 20 minutes, saying it was too dangerous and the game became too physical. So are the Matildas ready for what lay ahead? Sarah says they've done everything in order to be prepared for this moment. Now it's down to what happens on the field tonight. Over the past three years, we've really worked so hard as a business and they've, they've obviously done all the hard work on the pitch, the coaching staff, 
We've set up a very gruelling schedule for them. For those that don't know, it's not just the biggest women's sporting event in the world. It's actually one of the biggest sporting events. This thing's very big and we've been preparing them. When they played France last week, that meant that they've played the, every single top 10 nation in the last three years. And so that's, you know, playing European nations, that's playing Asian, USA. And for us, that's really important because it means whoever they come up against, they've flexed some muscle around that over the past three years. And I think they're so desperate to play today. I think they're prepared as well as they can be. They're looking to have a solid start in front of 80,000 people today, which will be the record for Matilda's attendance here in Australia. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. <laughs>